you can't almost help but become enamored with them, you know, even as a Democrat, because this is just, this is his country. They love him here. That's a shame, because that guy's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode. I'm your host and moderator, Anthony Strain, and today I'm joined by Art Black. How's it going, everybody? Matteo DeGaulle. Hey, what's up? And with special guest, Elizabeth Andrews. Yo, 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 what's up? And we are Crowdsource Politics. On today's episode, we'll be discussing Mitch McConnell. Our top political priority over the next two years should be to deny President Obama a second term. One of my goals as U.S. Senator will be to ditch cocaine Mitch. If I'm still the majority leader of the Senate after next year, none of those things are going to pass the Senate. They won't even be voted on. So think of me as the Grim Reaper. So without further ado, let's start the show. So, Mateo, this was kind of your idea to do a, uh, an episode about Cocaine Mitch, or Mitch McConnell. Uh, so why don't you give us a little bit of history about the man? What made Mitch Mitch? For his entire life, he was an extremely political person. This is a guy in his fifth grade picture for school. He wore an I like Ike button. And uh, by the time he was 14 years old, he was watching both political conventions like front to back. Like it was just so awesome for him to do. Um, eventually, he ran for student council as a junior in high school. He showed how pragmatic he is uh, politically early on because this guy's got the personality of a potato. So he couldn't rely on actual popularity or anyone really knowing him. So he actually, he actually, from a very young age, showed that he understood the mechanics of democracy and like where it intersects with psychology because he knew he had to get the popular kids on his side. And he was quoted as saying, or I think it's from his book, as saying basically he just had to flatter them. He's like, what teenagers like best is flattery. So he just basically loved them up a little bit and somehow got them to support him, probably because they were high schoolers and they didn't care. They were like, sure, yeah, I'll vote for you, man. And uh, then he made pamphlets or whatever, listing all the popular kids' names, saying they support him, and that actually helped him. Then later on, he'd become a Jefferson County judge executive. It was basically like uh, it was like being a mayor for that area. So was this before or after he uh, interned, interned with a couple of senators? Uh, I'm guessing it's after, I want to say. Yeah, I think it's after, too. I, had, uh, I did a bit of reading this, this afternoon. But yeah, he, he, in, he basically clerked for... For two for two uh, senators, yeah. Were you saying he was elected in Jefferson County as judge executive? Uh, yeah, he was elected Jefferson County judge executive. It's kind of like a mayorship. Yeah, so that that was after his his uh, his uh, clerkships. So okay, and um, basically to win that, he got endorsements from unlikely areas. Uh, there's a paper called the Louisville Courier Journal. Somehow got them to support him. Um, he got labor unions on his side, which was uh, that's actually a pretty controversial part of his history, because a lot of them say that he promised to support things like collective bargaining and everything. He promised to help them out a lot. And then once he won, basically, they couldn't get meetings with him. And he's he's on record saying that he said something else. It's like, if you like McConnell, you'll be inclined to agree with his interpretation of it. But if you don't, you're going to believe the negative one. It goes either way. For me, I think the perplexing thing about a guy like Mitch McConnell is that you have him, you know, he's born in the 40s, you know, at 10 years old, 1952, the epitome of a, of a boomer. And he blocks all these, you know, like healthcare initiatives. I read that he had polio attack at the age of two. He, he went to the Warm Springs Institute in Georgia, which, by the way, was where um, Roosevelt went, you know, and I read 
little bit of his, you know, history, he said that it nearly bankrupted his family. And so yep. you're like, okay, you're like, that sounds kind of like, you know, why would he not be on the progressive bandwagon? And then, I mean, I hate to say it, I don't mean to be crude, but he's got an Asian wife, you know what I mean? So we know he's into ethnic Tang. And so, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, you know, so, you know, w when you look at all these things, if you didn't really know of his initiatives or whatever, everything about his background says, let's go towards being a progressive. But for whatever reason, he ended up on the other side. And I think he's, you know, he's come, he's been, in, you know, he's been a senator since the mid 80s. But, you know, his real, you know, impact on politics was with Obama when he was able to block Obama's initiatives, you know, in the Senate repeatedly. And, you know, now everyone, you know, is talking about the upcoming election and it doesn't matter who you support, Warren, whoever, that person is going to get completely cock blocked their first two years, no matter what, until the midterms come up, because there's not anything we can do about McConnell. It's actually funny that you say that because he started off as at least for his time, a fairly progressive Republican. I think it was around right, the time. Right, and it makes you wonder, where did that flip go? I forget where it is. He actually, I have it in my notes somewhere. If you can give me a second, I can definitely find it. Uh, basically, he won some election. I think it might even be the Senate election. And he could tell, like, it was a Reagan year. He's like, the Republican Party is moving a lot further right. And he told people who normally endorsed him, I think actually from the Courier-Journal, he's like, you're not going to be able to support me anymore. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm going to have to move so far right that you're not going to be able to support me. It's not going to work for you. Speaking, um, of course, to a moderate Republicans. Uh, if it was a Larry Kerrville journal, I think uh, Courier Journal, I mean, um, I think they were normally actually Democrats, which is, I mean, it was weird. Like I said, McConnell came into the scene almost seeming kind of middle ground. Right, and shifting to the right progressively more over the years. Yeah, and that's just also more of his pragmatism there. He's like, all right, that's where the Republicans are going. That's how I win. You know, he didn't care about as much uh maybe his personal views as much as he cared about having power it seems no definitely i mean he was definitely thrown you know thrust into it at a time you know where he went minority majority and you know he's got a lot of pressure on it you know because right now the republican party i mean for fuck's sake excuse me there's nobody running against trump i mean he is literally running unopposed and so when you look at a guy like mitch and he's got to consider what's going to happen when he goes back to kentucky if he doesn't do everything he can to block the impeachment, he's going to have a real tough time getting reelected in Kentucky. Right. That's hilarious too about Mitch McConnell. Cause he's like one of the least popular senators, like at all. And somehow he, he keeps winning in Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. Kentucky, the Kentucky people, uh, yeah. at least Kentucky Republicans like him. I mean, he is their guy. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's just got such a bad approval rating. I wasn't aware that he had such a poor approval rating. I mean, because the guy's been getting reelected since 1985. Isn't he like, if I'm not mistaken, isn't he, oh my God, one of the longest serving members of Senate? He won yeah. like six elections or something. Like it's back to back. It's just insane. The guy, that's why he gets a lot of credit for being uh, such a savvy operative. Right. I mean, look at him. Like I said, the guy is the personality of a potato, but he's thriving in a world where basically you have to at least pretend to be charismatic to get somewhere. I think one of the interesting things about his history that I, I don't think was mentioned, I, I accidentally had some uh, computer issues. I don't know if you actually mentioned it or not, was that he actually supported the civil rights bill. Like as a, a young college Republican, he was talking about property rights and how property rights don't circumvent, um, you know, people's people's rights. He voted for uh, LBJ in the 1960s, not Barry Goldwater. And uh, one of his idols is uh, a civil rights senator, John Sherman. 
See, and that's kind of funny because while he was doing that, Hillary Wa- Hillary Clinton was working for Goldwater. So that's kind of that's yeah. I mean, yeah. people people change over over years. Like I said, a lot of it is calculation, and he made the pivot uh, like purposely. You know, maybe Hillary changed like honestly, but he changed because he wanted to go with the Republican Party. True. He became more, more and more of a partisan as time went on. Didn't you say earlier that you did a bit of research into the whole Bork incident? Did you, did you see anything uh, with in his history about him being friends with Bork and Scalia? Uh, I believe he was. He loved Scalia. I don't know much about his relationship with Bork. I mean, they were both in the Federalist Society and they're big names in it. So, and Mitch McConnell was big in the Senate. I can't imagine yeah. they were strangers. Well, prior to his election uh, as Jefferson County Judge slash Executive, uh, he he filled a position as Deputy Assistant Attorney General under Ford, and he also in and during that time period he worked with Bork, Sleberman, and Scalia. So I'm pretty sure they got pretty chummy. Yeah, I don't doubt it. I mean, definitely Scalia. So as far as the history of McConnell, just an interesting thing that uh, I think is kind of relevant to his power base is his wife, Elaine Chow. So she's the daughter of a, a very wealthy Taiwanese shipping magnate. Uh, they've got a large company called the Foremost Group, which is basically like you know, international shipping. Uh, they got married in the early 90s, and she kind of moved forward from uh, you know, being like a minor regular official to being the uh, Secretary of Labor under uh, Bush. And then uh, you know, got really deep into the whole like, you know, Bush world and was you know, well-connected even in you know, the Sun's administration. Uh, but now she's uh, Secretary of Transportation under Trump. So you know, kind of like a, another power behind the, the throne, she brought in hundreds of millions you know, of her family as well. So you know, now McConnell is you know, tremendously wealthy. Uh, you know, through his wife's connections. But also he kind of has these back channels, even from the Senate, into the White House, usually through his wife, who is generally, you know, some secretary or something or other, you know, within the actual Republican administration. So, you know, he is definitely somebody who is, you know, linked up with people who share his interesting talent as far as being able to get in where they need to be and be well-placed. So I just think that, it, you know, to talk about Mitch McConnell, you know, you, you always want to keep Elaine in mind as well. That's actually interesting that you say it too, because um, the tobacco industry is huge in his state, and he basically he's done a lot of really shady shit with them. There's a huge there's a bill going through one time, and um, a lot of senators were afraid of voting for it. It like hurt the tobacco industry because he came all he came along. He said, "I have a pledge from the tobacco, uh, I don't know, executives or whoever he talked to, lobbyists." He's like, "Anyone who votes in favor for this bill or whatever in a favorable way for the tobacco industry." They'll run ads for you next election you have. And right there, that's like, how are you even having that conversation with them where, to the point where they pledge it, let alone just, you know, hint at it. So right. he's no stranger to back channels like that. That's, you know, classic Mitch. But I mean, art does bring up, I don't know if that was art, my bad, brings up a good point, you know, that it does make you wonder if that was just another, you know, political play, you know what I mean? A, a shield against, you know classic mcconnell it's basically all he he has become that's his identity is pretty much just a political machine he doesn't even have to care about something he'll just go with whatever wins he doesn't even just sell the cocaine at this point he just does it for fun yeah exactly he just does because he knows he can get away with it it's funny because his his wife elena chow right that's why he got the name cocaine mitch is because there was uh, an incident with her her family's shipping company of where they got caught with like what hundred thousand kilos of cocaine? On, I wouldn't say on the they got ship. caught, but 
it was on one of their boats. Yeah, don't they sublet ships or something? Like, what's the business? Right. I would imagine today, if you run a shipping company, a major shipping company, there's probably a good percentage of dope coming through your shipping company. I mean, at least Big I time. would imagine. Points of entry in this country are just ridiculous with that. That's a whole other podcast. I was going to say, so it's not like the uh, the cartels are like going to sit down with the CEO of the company and like work out the cocaine shipment schedule. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's not really like a legit thing to bust somebody on. Like that, that ain't how it works. Yeah, I feel like they just rather not look into anybody renting as long as they're getting paid on time. Right, right, exactly. But I mean, that's but that is why he got the name. Oh yeah, no, definitely. And it's an awesome fucking name. Didn't he uh, make a meme or not a meme? I, I'm using that word like an idiot now. Uh, he made a picture whatever after he won the election. He's like, thanks for playing to the yeah, guy who yeah, called yeah, him cocaine. It was basically a bunch of powder around him. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that probably wasn't even him. Cause like the guy's personality is horrible, but he always has this way of making him look funny. When you've got that kind of money, you can hire people with a sense of humor. So we, we kind of went over his past just a little bit. Where, when do you think it was that like he went from this uh, pragmatist, kind of central centrist kind of republican uh to the outright rejection of anything at all that is even moderately liberal the 1984 election no i wouldn't i wouldn't go back that far i wouldn't say in 85 i mean you know yes when he got into the senate but i mean i would never describe him as a centrist but i would say that he was a reasonable republican up until, you know, Obama. And that is just literally when he just became, you know, screw it. I don't care. I'm just going to block everything that the Democrats want to do. Like, without, you know, any thought, you know, that that for me is was his tipping point was Obama. Okay, Elizabeth, that's a fair point. Mateo, what, what, you were saying 85. Why, why do you think it was? Oh, the 84 election. Uh, after he, he beat uh, Huddleston. And basically, that's when he warned, uh, I think his friend's name was Keith Runyon. That's when he was like, I. I'm going to tell you, man, he's like, I have to go so far right that you can't uh, support me. Interesting. And that was and he and he uh, wrote on uh, Reagan's coattails a little bit. Right. Like that was like he pulled in, pulled in the election because. Yeah, he kind of had to. Okay. exactly. Like he was in that race. He was so far behind, too. It was pretty crazy. All that shit. Reagan helped him out big time. He did a lot of really bad ads. Um, Roger Ailes was a big part of that, too. Actually, there's there's a ton to do with that. All those people just seem to be overlapping. What is up with that? <laughs> so it seems like McConnell has always been like a very traditionalist as far as the Senate's use of power, the rules, the structure, and the procedure. And you know, perhaps that was always just because that was where the popular sentiment was as far as the Senate being like this you know, august body that was supposed to be very conservative in its approach and very you know, thoughtful and deliberative. And he was that guy while the Senate was expected to be that. And I think kind of like what Liz was saying, what really changed was once the populace changed and once our politics changed and got a little bit more radical, Mitch is always a guy that just wants to be in the lead. So he kind of checks and sees where everybody's head's at. And then he becomes the leader of wherever the rest of the movement is. So I think as the country changed, he just changed how he operates. And now he's the guy that needs to do what he does to be in charge. And he runs the Senate, you know, as a weird obstructionist, you know, alien to totally how he operated in the past, because it's kind of what the electorate wants. You think it was kind of a, uh, a timing issue rather than it being particularly Obama and how Obama acted? Yeah, I think that I think that blaming Obama is just what people on the right do to justify, you know, their reasons for not liking him, which are usually a lot shorter than what they claim the reasons for not liking him are. Let's just say um, he's black. 
And uh, <laughs> so basically, once they figured out where the mood of the electorate was, they're like, oh, you know, this is kind of the way the party's going, the way politics are going. And Mitch being Mitch, he's like, well, in that case, I'm going to be the guy that's going to be on top of whatever this new shit show is. And if this is the direction that it's going, okay, then I'm going to run it. And this is how I'm going to run it right. And it's really, he's, he's more about being effective than anything else. And you got to give the man credit. He gets his finger on the pulse of the politics in this country, and he reads it. And then he's a step ahead. Elizabeth, you wanted to break in? And then, well, that's what I was going to say is that, you know, he reads the pressure that's on him. You know what I mean? That's Art said he has that power, but he only keeps that power as long as he keeps the Republicans happy. And I think that before Obama, it was, okay, let's look at this, you know, Democratic initiative. Let's try to, you know, think of some logical reason why we're not going to pass it. No. <laughs> when Obama came, it was, don't give a shit. The answer's no. And that's, I think that's where he as just even remotely a... I don't know. He was, you guys said a centrist. I don't, I wouldn't even go so far as to say centrist. What I can say is he was reasonable. And now I feel like I said that the tipping point for that was Obama was when he felt that pressure. Okay. I've got to just be an obstructionist no matter what. And then, you know, once Trump came and then, you know, the midterm election last time around, it's even more pressure to stay obstructionist. And now at this point, if he does anything that he's even, remotely seen as you know not being obstructionist how is he going to go home to kentucky i guess that's where i'm at with it well the centrist stuff has more to do like back in the 80s okay so you're referring to like way back when he got elected not we're not talking about the 90s that's that's where he began to well i think at least he began to make his change he basically said it he planned it out and was open about it Mateo, I think that that's a good point. I remember reading, I think it was a, a, a Nation article or uh, some other left-leaning publication that said that in the 90s, he became super focused on bringing in the dollars because the the uh, media establishment in Kentucky, even though Kentucky was slowly shifting red, the media establishment was still very much Democrat. So he wasn't able to get his message out there at all unless he could bring in the dollars. So that might have had a little bit to do with it as well. Yeah, wasn't it like a two-to-one Democratic state or something for him to win? Yeah, he had, to, he had to at least pretend to be a centrist for a while. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair enough. So we kind of we covered all we covered a bit about his history and things like that. We got into where he became a super obstructionist. Um, I think Elizabeth mentioned before. Uh, what did you say to me, like offline, Elizabeth, about that? Are we talking about Doctor No? Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, um, you know, just talking about, you know, the many monikers that he has, and I'm sure you're going to go into the more recent ones. But, you know, for me, when they were first giving him those monikers was back in the Obama days, Dr. No, you know what I mean? Let's obstruct everything. You know, I mean, if you have a moniker such as Dr. No, it means that you don't matter what comes across your, your desk, the answer is no. So, you know, I think that's when he started building up a reputation, as I said, as not being even remotely sensible from the left side. Yeah, well, he hasn't right. been sensible for a while at that point. To the many monikers of the malevolent Mitch McConnell. Right. You got to love the alliteration. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and and about his obstruction, like there's things on there that you would assume that, you know, Republic, there would be an anathema to Republicans. Uh, there, he rejected the uh, funding of the 9-11 Victims Fund and the 9-11 EMS or or Emergency Workers Fund as well. Unless, you know, Obama or 
Democrats agreed to like either permanently make tax cuts for the wealthy or it was something else. And I just can't remember it right now. But yeah, it was trying to he's using those levers to try to get that uh, leverage. So what else? Like his most recent moniker is Moscow Mitch. So what was it that brought that about specifically? Dumbasses. <laughs> okay. Fair. That's just like the dumbest thing. Yeah, that's that's just people trying to use this Russia. Unless there's some sort of credible evidence I miss. That's just the people who kind of congregate online doing what they do. Well, I mean, it's it's yes, it's definitely a, a Twitter kind of kind of handle, but um it doesn't have any validity at all. They're not saying that he is a Russian asset asset. They're they're making fun of it because he's refusing to fund things, you know. I think it's just people using the power of, oh my God, Russia, anywhere they can. It's, I don't know, I might be missing out on something. I never really looked into it too deep, but it seemed really stupid to me. Well, so since you might, since you might not know, basically what happened was that funding came up to uh, give states money in order to shore up their, their election systems, their election protection systems, and he denied it. Yeah, and he had a perfectly reasonable explanation for that, and no one listened to it. They just were like, oh my god, Moscow Mitch, there's only one reason why this guy would vote against that. There's no other explanation. Oh my god. That's why there's, I, it's insane, man. It's just the type of shit that I wish we wouldn't even cover on this podcast, because I feel like it's going to be not even a thing in like five years. I'm hoping to god it's like parachute pants. Just being an asshole in politics should go away. Yeah, it won't, though. This is kind of how we are now. And uh, I think that this sort of uh, name calling and all that is just, you know, it's part of the scene. And I think in this particular case, you've got this situation with Russia that for whatever reason has not really been fully resolved. So there's this gray area between, you know, is somebody actively working with Russia, like the whole investigation into Trump and the campaign versus maybe are people passively okay with Russia tinkering with things? if it works to their advantage. And that way they can say that they didn't have anything to do with it. They're not coordinating. There's no actual collusion, just to pull a word out of the air. But, uh, you know, I think that's the problem is that there's a lot of stuff that can happen in life where you don't really have to get involved for it to benefit you. And you can't really say that you're working with them because you're not. There is no, like, moscow Mitch connection. Like, he's, you know, you know, sexting with uh, Putin late at night. You know, it's, it's not a thing. But... You know, maybe he's not really pushing back that hard against Russian interference because they kind of perceive it'll benefit them. I can agree with maybe, definitely maybe. Who knows? I mean, especially with Mitch McConnell, it's he's not exactly known for being the most ethical guy. Like even the appearance of ethics is something he doesn't care about. He's argued in favor of accepting gifts, like blatant gifts. Uh, again, with the tobacco industry, he uh, he got a huge argument with John McCain. He actually challenged him to a debate on the floor because uh, McCain was trying to get rid of a lot of these things that he openly supported, like gifts from companies and lobbyists. And yeah. um, he's like, well, who's who here is uh, corrupt? You're saying it's creating a corrupt system. It's like, who is actually corrupt? And he was trying to trick McCain into naming a name to make McCain look bad. And at first, you know, McCain knows what he was doing. He didn't take the bait. And then after a while, that uh, tobacco story I told you about earlier, all of a sudden McCain like starts implying that. And basically, it was actually a really awesome point in, like, uh, Senate history. Basically, he was like, you, man, you're the corrupt one. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. It, in such a, it was like a very polite, like, senatorial manner. It's just, it's a really cool story. Done in a way that he couldn't get censured. I'm yeah, sure. especially because, like, he was holding back. He's like, nah, man, I don't want to point people out. He's like, this isn't what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to change a system that, you know, can easily lead to corruption. I don't have to call someone corrupt. And then eventually, you know, McConnell didn't back down. So he's like, all right, buddy, you. 
You're the one. Yeah. <laughs> McCain Feingold, he was definitely against that for sure. But yeah, as far as what he did with that, like it's it's so hard to say his motivations. I mean, it's like I said, though, it wouldn't be surprising if he really was like, well, it's helping me out at the time, so I'm going to let it slide. But also, I really do believe he doesn't think the federal government should have that much control over state elections. He He's a state's rights guy yeah. underneath it all. He does have at least plausible deniability. That's fair. That's a fair point, Mateo. So what else? Like the big giant elephant in the room, of course, is the impeachment. And the Senate trial, where McConnell's like, I'm not an impartial juror. Wait, the the impeachment? Don't you mean the sham impeachment? Oh, the sham impeachment, of course. Over a perfect phone call. <laughs> well, the phone call was so good. Did they not know how good it was? Well, you know, it's, that's actually a really interesting point. As far as, like, the Republicans' you know, defense about all this. Is it they're trying to say that, yeah, that wasn't really good judgment. But, you know, I don't know if it rises to the level of impeachment. What Trump is doing is saying, oh, yeah, it was perfect. And the implication there is, and I do again. And the Republicans are trying to, you know, in the Mitch McConnell side, they're like, well, you know, this is improper, but, uh, you know, this is not a, you know, it doesn't rise to the level of uh, you know, impeaching the, you know, overturning the election. Or, uh... It's just funny because McConnell tries to play this, this straight man to the extent that he can. But then when he can, he's like, oh, well, fuck it. I'm just going to do whatever. And he just laughs, you know. So it, it's funny because you have this element like the Trumpist side who just, they don't care. They're just going to say, it was perfect. It was good. Fuck you guys. And McConnell tries to keep as much decorum as he could afford right up to the point where it doesn't work. And then he just shrugs and goes, eh. <laughs> like his main goal is basically just to fill the court with as many uh, just like federal society judges as he can pretty much. Yeah, it seems to be his number one concern. Yeah. And I think I think it's, I mean, he's definitely a master of the Senate. He does a lot and he deserves credit for it. But at the same time, like that Garland move, that wasn't his... Uh, savvy as people try to make it out to be that just played out really well in his favor that's like high risk high reward almost like you just got super lucky and people want to call him a genius over that i don't think that's a fair characterization at all so you would say that it was his die cast moment mateo oh yeah even he would say he said that was the most consequential like he's not wrong to say it was the most consequential decision in his tenure but at the same time, like the odds were so against them. Nobody thought Trump was going to win. And even if Trump won, Republicans were scared of what type of person judge this guy would even nominate. And Mitch McConnell just kind of rolled the dice on that one. And it just it just happened to play out. I mean, Merrick Garland was what the Republicans would have loved to have. Like Obama was just basically like playing into every one of their moves. And even then he's like, nah, man, I'm just going to risk getting Hillary Clinton's pick, you know, because at the time it really did seem like Hillary Clinton was going to win the election. Yeah. So him to just like kind of get credit for that like don't get me wrong sure i mean you 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 took the family life savings to the racetrack and won i mean at but at the same time it's like how much of a fucking genius move really was that for sure i think we we would be remiss though to talk about uh impeachment so what what do you think his strategy been in that regard i can't believe i forgot to say stable genius to that last point oh, stable genius. <laughs> that's the kind of genius no, but as far as impeachment, I think that, you know, Mitch understands the Senate better than most people alive. And, you know, where he's coming from is a kind of uncharted territory for most of us. But I think for him, it's a lot more straightforward. He counts votes. He understands the dynamics and what people can be pushed to do and what they're not going to put up with. And I think from his position, it's all about, you know, literally positioning, you know, where he stands, what troops he can command and what the other forces can bring to bear. 
And that's how he really approaches everything. From the impeachment side, I think that he's got basically two things going on. And one is that they bring this to bear and they have a vote and they make it go away. And the other is that he might have some Republicans to defect for the purpose of bringing in witnesses. If that happens, he's got another problem where basically he's going to have a lot of pressure to then bring in not just John Bolton, but Hunter Biden. I mean, so there's different ways that this could play out. But I think that he's really game with them both out, and he'll be fine either way. I think his preference is to sweep it under the rug and make it go away. But I think that if the other eventuality happens, then people will be surprised at how ready he is for it. That's a fair assessment, Art. I think he wanted to push it through as fast as possible, and like an idiot, he just blurted it out, made it totally public. He, he had a rushed impeachment on his hands that he could have easily played to make the Democrats look, you know, just haphazard and maybe even a little unprofessional. And what does he do? He's like, I'm not an impartial juror. It's like, why would you do that? He just, there's got, there's a, a saying for that probably that would just capture it so much, so much better than I could explain with words. Yeah. So he blew his whole strategy up. I think he just wanted to, like you said, sweep it under the rug, but do his own, whatever reasoning. Cause I would assume he's smarter than that. He just totally blew it. He shot himself in the foot. His, his mouth got ahead of his brain, huh? Yeah, like, I mean, he didn't go as far as uh, Lindsey Graham, but he's pretty goddamn close. That's another one. It's like, why would you do that? Like, why would you? I don't feel that he is that stupid. I don't believe for one second. I don't second, think he is stupid. What he did I was stupid. I don't think for one second he didn't know what he was doing. He is under an immense amount of pressure to do whatever he can to stop the impeachment up until the point of basically saying, I'm not going to do this the right way. I mean, that that's like, I mean, to literally to preemptively excuse yourself and basically say, you know, I'm not going to be an impartial, an impartial judge. I mean, how can you even do that? Yeah, that's why. I mean, I, I'm not calling him stupid. I think he's an incredibly intelligent guy. And a lot of the stuff he does is impressive. But that move to me, just there's no real good. Ex there's no flattering explanation for it. Unless he's just worried about winning the election and saying you're not impartial makes you 100% backing Trump in a state that backs Trump pretty much. I guess, yeah, maybe. But I feel like these people should worry more about how history reflects on it. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying is that, you know, at the bottom of at, at the end of the day, he's got to go back to get to, to Kentucky and get reelected. And, you know, so everything that he's doing, there's a lot of pressure on him. And right now, the Republican Party is 100 percent, you know, behind Trump for the most part. So anything you do, you know, that, that's seen as not in support of President Trump is going to really affect you personally at election time if you're a Republican politician at least kentucky republicans are 100 percent behind trump and he'll be going up against probably um mcgrath i can't remember her first name right now but she's got pretty good uh, moderate bona fides so amy mcgrath that's her name yeah and she's a former fighter pilot so she's gonna have a good appeal to a lot of their electorate there yep did you just said it with no more mitch no, I can't. Like, what will the, the Republicans will be left with? What's what? Who's the uh, majority leader? Mitt Romney. I would be okay with Mitt Romney. I mean, he's super milk toast, but that's okay. That's what you kind of want in a senator, though. For a Republican, at least. <laughs> right? You get these firebrands in there, and you don't know what you're going to get. Like, we haven't, we, we talked about impeachment. We talked about his early history and stuff, but we haven't really talked about anything of like what's his view is of the world outside outright partisanship and craving power. What, what else drives Mitch? Nothing else. We don't feel like money is a factor. Not necessarily. Well, that's part of it. He's got all the money he's ever going to need. 
So, I mean, as far as what motivates him, I mean, all you have to do is just look at the last 30 years of his life. It's pretty clear that it is all about power. And, and he wants to fill the courts. He wants to have a lasting legacy. Yes. That's also about power and legacy. But, I mean, there, there's is there an impetus behind that? Is there, like, some sort of ideological dogma behind it? I don't think so. I think that's been the, the whole, I don't know, the whole point of, I guess, the whole discussion is that... <laughs> He doesn't have an ideological. He swore to be like this after the Bork hearings. He was like, all right, this is the new standard. He's like, get ready for it. And I guess he's delivered. So, I mean, like, you know, I'm just going through, went through some of his history, some of his opinions on on foreign policy and stuff. And I'm not not seeing anything that stands out particularly egregious, you know, pretty standard Republican fare, supporting the the war in Iraq, being a supporter of Israel and that sort of thing. But, well, there was a lot of controversy even in the party with uh, his basically support for like money and politics where even Republicans would be kind of bashful and, you know, they try to make some sort of like freedom argument for it. Mitch McConnell was just like, nah, we money and politics is good. The more, the this, better. This helps us win our elections kind of thing. Gotcha, Mateo. Art, did you have a thing that you wanted to say? Uh, yeah. I mean, so power is basically you know, like, cocaine in energy form like it's you know something that it alone when you get that level of power that is its own you know kind of goal is to just keep getting that hit and for him he's probably not that ideological he's just able to live according to whatever he kind of feels is right and i think that his opinions are more or less you know what you see out of his policies is more or less what he believes but he's not hardcore about that he's hardcore about being the guy that makes that shit happen and being the one that controls the levers of power and he wants to get his way, but he's not like, for instance, like a Bernie Sanders who maybe has like this, you know, generational like ideology as far as like this epic struggle between the classes sort of a thing. I think for him, it's just a day to day thing where he opens up the newspaper and sees things happen and be like, ah, I think we should do this. And he is in a position where he can pull those strings and make shit happen in a way that moves history is going to change history books. That is just a ripping cocaine daily. I mean, he wakes up. <laughs> with the kind of hit or the kind of thrill that most people will never even imagine. So that's why he does it. To Art's point, he probably got a huge uh, jolt when he told Obama, you're not going to fill this uh, Supreme Court seat during the Garland hearing or the Garland situation. For someone like him, that was probably like the pinnacle of, well, I mean, I think he even said it's like the highlight of his career or something. He saved a ton of money on Viagra that year. (laughs) (laughs) Does anybody have anything they would like to, to round this out with? I just, I feel like we cannot wrap up a conversation about Mitch McConnell without discussing what happens with Mitch McConnell post-election. Because no matter what, we're going to have to deal with him being the majority leader for two years after a president is elected. Oh, so you don't think that the, any, the, the uh, 2020 election is going to flip the Senate? I don't. And I don't think that any president is going to anyone who's elected. I feel like we're just going to do a repeat of where we're going to have our president get in like Obama and he's going to get cock blocked. He or she, I'm sorry, is going to get cock blocked. There's not going to be a blue wave in 2020. You know that like it's it's not going to happen. And so, you know, it, it just I feel like we can't wrap up the conversation without talking about what happens with Mitch McConnell after we have our next president. Well, I would assume that if a Democrat wins, it will be, you haven't even seen my final form, and it will just be <laughs> way more obstruction. It will be Obama obstructionist 2.0, or should we say 5.0, since he'll be on the high horse. If it's Biden, I think McConnell would be able to work him a little too much. Are we saying this is going to be a hold my beer situation? 
<laughs> maybe Elizabeth. But what do you what do you mean, uh, Mateo, that he that Biden would get worked over a bit? I think Biden kind of romanticizes the idea of reaching across the aisle, maybe almost to a fold. Uh, okay. And McConnell's going to capitalize on that. McConnell's happy enough to really hone in on something like that. Yeah, I actually totally agree. And I was going to say that McConnell, you know, is the kind of guy that Biden is going to want to work with just to prove a point. And McConnell will work with him because, you know, they've known each other for you know half a century. But there's probably going to be something where McConnell gets more of what he wants. And Biden has to give up a lot because, like you said, he really romanticizes this idea of everyone working together. And honestly, Biden's probably not as left as you know one would think so okay um, hold on though hold on biden and mcconnell have worked together before they've worked together to extend the bush tax cut i mean this is not going to be the first time that biden and mcconnell work together we don't have to speculate on how biden and mcconnell are going to go together because they're going to go together like pb and j because we know what biden is for sure yeah yeah so i mean we all know biden's going to get the nomination biden's going to win and that's eh. That's pretty much what's going to happen is that we're going to wind up with McConnell who will have. Yeah, and again, I don't necessarily think that McConnell's going to be on. I think that there probably will be a, enough of a blue wave just to flip the Senate. But assuming that I'm wrong, which is possible, I think that McConnell is going to work with Biden and it's not going to be great. But they're the kind of guys who are more or less on the same wavelength. They just have to be on the different parties just as luck would have it. I forget. I think it was Mateo who said that he could, you know, be easily Biden could be easily worked over by McConnell. My question is, is that since they've worked together, I mean, is that kind of sort of conducive to us Democrats? Because if he's going to have a president that, you know, can work with him or that he can work with, is that kind of not to our advantage, considering if it's, you know, Bernie or Warren, where he's going to cock block from day one? Yeah, like Biden will be willing to haggle, whereas someone like Bernie's just going to take a moral stand and probably be more happy with not getting what he wants because then he could say this just proves it's the system or something. So, I mean, Biden will get some of what he's looking for, but it will come at a cost, and that cost is going to be some of what McConnell's looking for. Yeah, and I, I don't think necessarily uh, think that Biden is a shoe-in for the, the nomination. Just given where the polls are at and stuff, it, it's possible that he doesn't get more than 40% of the uh, delegate count. But I think McConnell will, you know, work with Biden to get stuff that McConnell wants and block everything that we would want or that a uh, a Democrat, a more left leaning Democrat would want. So he's going to look a lot more like the old school Democrats for a while if Biden wins. If Biden wins, we're getting the Clinton years back. Yeah, no, no, no. Not even Clinton years, like 80s Democrats. Tipper and Gore. No, kind of I mean, third way. I think third I way. I feel like Democrat. Clinton was in the closet so much more right than we think he was. So I guess that's why I attach that to those times, you know? He was the master of triangulation. But look, assuming Trump loses, you're also going to have a different type of Republican. So you're going to have people that are going to have different pressures. You're going to have the Senate that's going to have a different kind of electorate leaning on them. And you're going to get a little bit more of that old school, like guys who are willing to cross the the aisle and do deals just to make shit happen that we don't have right now like we're kind of like hyper like al-qaeda radicalized right now like these guys are like suicide bombers in the senate like they're like they're gonna get what right. they want they're gonna blow themselves up like they don't care but i think that once you edge back off of that a little bit and especially the narrow or the balance of power narrows a bit then you could have a couple of people in the middle like a uh you know like murkowski or collins or whoever who could get real volatile and maybe go back and forth a bit. And suddenly you get a different kind of legislation come through. It could be a weirdly different vibe in just, you know, one year. Great point, Art. But sadly to say, I, we are out of time. Uh, I know that all of you 
liked what you heard today because you listened to the end of the episode. So be sure to hit that like button, subscribe, comment on our episode, and share with your friends. And as always, keep your head up through the political storm.